0: So, okay, yeah. I love it. Quiet it down, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you guys, you may or may not know this, but Here at Midtown East, we are uh, part of a family of churches, so we are one of six different Midtown churches meeting across the city, and kind of the the way that we do this is that in the spring and in the fall, we all kind of follow the same sermon series, but a few times a year, January being one of them, we get to choose as a congregation what we're going to talk about, and this January, we have been talking about generosity, generosity, that out of all of the things that we could choose to talk about, that is the thing we've chosen to talk about. And let me just tell you for a minute why, okay? Uh, One of the reasons is that Jesus talks about it a lot. Like, one of the things that Jesus talks about most in all of the Gospels is money. And the reason that Jesus does that is that he knows what a huge role money plays in our own hearts and our lives and our stories, And so he's addressing the way that we relate to it and the way that we spend it because he cares about us. And so if we are gonna grow into the kind of people that God has called us to be, we gotta talk about it too. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason is that there are gonna be a lot of opportunities for us as a community to be generous this year, right? That's true for us as we like grow toward uh, reaching our own budget as a congregation. It's also true as a church that is on mission in our community, as we've talked about this before, that Midtown East is not just here for the people who are already a part of it to kind of huddle together. No, that what we believe is that the, the, the news and the message that Jesus has given us is really good. And we want the people around us to know it. And we want to be generous with it. And when people come here, we want them to experience the love of Jesus, not only in the words that are spoken, but in the way that we open up our hearts to the people who join us here on a Sunday morning. And I hope that if this is your first Sunday, you've experienced a little bit of that already. If you've been here for a few Sundays that you've been tasting that. But but there's an openness of our own hearts, a generosity of this place that we love, that God has given us, that we wanna share it with the people around us. And if you have just started coming and you decide to stick here for any amount of time, I want you to know that by the end of the year, there will be people who look at you and think that you have been here for forever, even if you don't feel like that. Which means that by the end of the year, you'll have opportunities to be generous with this place too. Lots of opportunities to be generous. As we declare the generous love of Jesus to the world around us. And if you're here this morning and you are exploring this whole Jesus thing, uh, way to go just want to say you're so brave for showing up in a strange room like this, uh, where the script that's being followed, you may have no idea what's going on. So props, okay? And what I hope that you hear this morning is, is the generous love of Jesus. But that is what kind of shines through for you, is how generosity is a part of God's character, and that you're invited this morning to wrestle with that element of who God is. So the text that we're going to be in is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. So that's, that's the, the chunk of scripture that we're going to use to help us understand and talk about generosity. So I'm going to invite Brandon Coughlin to come up. He's going to read the scripture for us. And as he's making his way up here, I'm just going to tell you uh, a little bit of the context of this passage, because we haven't really been in 2 Corinthians. So here's what's happening in 2 Corinthians. Uh, there's this guy. Well, okay, we'll go back even further. The church started uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, right? After Jesus ascended to heaven, that's kind of where the church was birthed. And so that, that's kind of like, yeah, the, the original area for the church. And then this guy, Paul, he becomes a Christian, and he starts planting churches kind of all around the Mediterranean world. Okay, so as that's happening, uh, the Christians who were in Jerusalem and Judea, this kind of first original part of the church, are experiencing a lot of hardship, and in their hardship, their typical kind of social safety nets that would have caught them have been cut out from under them because they're Christians. The people, the community that would normally take care of them isn't taking care of them anymore because of what they believe. And so Paul is calling these other churches that he's planted into the work of caring for the church back in Judea. So that's kind of the context of this. And, and what you got, I, well, I want you to listen, when you're listening to what Braden's going to read, I want you to hear how Paul is talking to his friends about why they should be generous. And I'm gonna tell you my three points before you hear the text read, okay? It's that generosity is a win-win-win scenario. So if you're a fan of The Office, you can just think of the conflict resolution episode, okay? But generosity is a win-win-win scenario. That when you are being generous, you win. That's good for you. That when you are being generous, God wins that God is glorified in it, and that when you are being generous, other people in this community wins. Okay, so generosity, win, win, win. So listen to how Paul is talking about generosity in this passage. So go ahead and come on up, Brandon. You're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15.
1: Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift.
0: Thanks, Brandon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for revealing truth to us. And Lord, pray that this morning you would take the truth that we just read from, uh, from words on a page, Lord, and that you would make it come alive in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our first win that we see in this passage is that generosity is good for you. It's good for the people who are being generous. And it's good for us because it moves us from a place of scarcity to a place of abundance. Okay, generosity is good for us because it moves us from a place of scarcity to a place of abundance. And to kind of help illustrate that, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, another NBC Universal show, uh, Parks and Recreation. Have any of you watched? Can I get some hands? Hey, okay, I, this is time I had to pull more illustrations from Parks and Rec. Okay, so, uh, if you don't know Parks and Recreation, it's a story about some people in Pawnee, Indiana, who work in the Parks and Recreation Department of their local government, okay? And they're they real characters. Two of those characters are named Tom and Donna, okay? Uh, and Tom and Donna's favorite day of the year is a day... What's the slogan of their favorite day of the year? Treat yourself, right? Okay, and if you don't know this, I'm just going to read you some quotes uh, from how they think about Treat Yourself Day, okay? So Tom says, once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Donna says, clothes. Tom says, treat yourself. Fragrances, treat yourself. Massages, treat yourself. Mimosas, treat yourself. Fine leather goods. I've watched this episode recently. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. And then Tom sings, the best day of the year, right? Tom and Donna in Parks and Rec, have this desire to live an abundant life, right? Which is the same desire that we all have, a desire to live an abundant life. And the way that they are going about living this abundant life is they have one day of the year where they, uh, where they declare their abundance to the world and to themselves. That whatever they see, they say yes to. And that's a way of them proving to themselves, yes, my life is abundant. And there's an intuitive kind of sense to that, Right? Like, if my life is abundant as I want it to be, I can go out and do all of these abundant things, and that should fill me up. Treat yourself. Live the abundant life. And there, we all have ways that we treat ourselves, right? We all kind of have our recipes for that, and for some of us, it really is retail therapy. We talk about that, like, just buying something kind of makes me feel better. I would like to say I've never experienced that, but I have. There are also other strategies that we use right? All, all different kinds of self-care that we use to treat ourselves. Like our investment in health and wellness. Like that can be a way of treating ourselves, right? Travel, a, kind of uh, acquiring new experiences. Because that's, that's true for a lot of us that we like, oh, my parents, you know, they were so materialistic. That previous generation, I don't care about stuff. I just care about storing up things like travel. Guys, it's the same thing, okay? Just a different way. And and crazy, the abundant life that you're pursuing, you can even pursue it through saving. It doesn't even have to be through spending, through saving, through investment. And guys, the amount of things that you can save for in your life, there are a lot of them, aren't they? Aren't there? So many things to save for. And if I can save enough in the right buckets, that what I'll be guaranteeing is that for now and into the future, I'll be able to have the abundant life that I've always wanted. But here's the thing, guys. It doesn't work. Tom is just as insecure after treat-yourself day as he is before. Donna has just as much of a bad attitude. The promise of treating ourselves and that being what secures for us the abundant life, it always betrays us because here's what it does. It tunes us into scarcity. That if I go out and what I'm doing is buying things to fill up what's lacking inside of me, I'm always going to need one more thing. When you move into a house and you're filling it up with new stuff, well, if I just had, it never ends, does it? But as we pursue abundance and try to live out our abundance by acquiring, all it does is highlight for us the scarcity in our lives. All it does is tune our brains and our hearts into the lack all around us. And that's true with any of the places that we go to treat ourselves, even if that place is saving because the reality is I can never save enough to totally deal with my fear of not having enough. And our world is so complicit in our treat yourself mentality because we call it economic growth, right? That's what drives our GDP is all of us believing that if we just had a few more things, then we would be happy. A few more experiences, a little bit more self-care, our world is financially invested in keeping us in a place of scarcity, in binding us and enslaving us to scarcity and what Paul is saying is no your desire for the abundant life it is so good Paul's saying it's good. God is saying it's good. But what he's saying is the way that you and I are so often chasing the abundant life isn't going to get us what we want. That in our limited time, with our very limited resources, God is saying, I want to redirect you from acquiring as a way to get the abundant life into giving as a way of getting the abundant life. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You will be enriched in every way, is what Paul says a few verses later. He's using this agricultural metaphor to say, hey, just like a farmer goes out and sows seed, and if he sows more seed, he gets more back, he's saying that's true for you. That as you are generous out in the world, as you sow seed out in the world, that what you get back is going to be even greater. You're going to be enriched. And I know some of you are like, hold on. This sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. That's not what we're talking about, though. we got to deal with what the text says, which is that as we, as we sow bountifully, we will, ev- we will reap even more bountifully. That what God wants for us is that our lives would be enriched. Do you hear God saying yes to you? God saying yes for your desire for an abundant life, yes. But the way that we get it, the way that we pursue it, is through giving. That you will be enriched in every way. Another way Paul could have said that is that you have been enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3, 2, or 1 Peter 1, 3, where he says, you have been given everything that you need for life and godliness. The promise of the gospel is that God, who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, would give us all things. That God, through Jesus Christ, has already given his people so much more, more than we could ever ask or imagine, that if you were in Christ, what is true right now is that you have peace. You have it. It's not this thing you have to go out and find somewhere outside of yourself. It is something that Jesus has already procured for you. He's made it for you. That what's true in your Christian life is that you have joy. It doesn't always feel like that, but it's true. That through what Jesus has done, He's ensured that joy, that you have joy, that He's given you the Holy Spirit who we've talked about, is always pouring God's love into your heart, that you are full to the fullest measure you could ever imagine with love, even now. And it doesn't always feel like that, right? And so the journey of the Christian life is taking hold of the abundance that we have already been given, is realizing all of the things that distract us from what God has given us and cutting those things away. It's tuning in to all of the gifts we have already been given. So that's what Paul is saying here, is that as we give, what it reminds us is that all, the, all, all those resources that we are using to get, that's not filling us up. When we start to give them away, what we start to become aware of is everything that God has given us. It changes the way that we're thinking from a scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset. It tunes us in to the riches that God has already poured out on us. And if that sounds just like the power of positive thinking, it's not. Okay? Because here's the difference, is that our world recognizes the scarcity problem and is trying to create all of these strategies to move us into abundance. And what our world says is, just think your way into an abundant place and then the abundance will happen to you. And what the gospel is saying is, Jesus has achieved your abundance for you through his sacrifice on the cross, so you already have it. It's not made up. It's there. You possess it. In, in, in part now and in a fullness that we're walking into and we'll finally realize in the new heavens and the new earth. And guys, that's why the prosperity gospel is so offensive. This idea that if you give God $10, he's gonna give you back like $100 or $1,000. It's not biblical and it flies in the face of what the Bible teaches about where we find uh, our true abundance. Like, if... if If you've never heard of the prosperity gospel, and this is totally a tangent to you, just come with me on the tangent, okay? But a lot of us who've been around the church for a while have heard those promises, that if you give God a $1, he'll turn it into $100, and they'll say, look, the Bible says it right here. Guys, if that was true, Paul would not be writing to the Corinthians and asking them to give money to their friends who were in need. He would be writing to the starving Christians in Judea, telling them to give $10 so they can get $1,000 back, but Paul's not doing that because that's not the gospel. It's just another trap. It's another trap bringing us back into this place of believing that if I just had a little bit more stuff, then I would be happy. No. Paul is calling us into a different way of thinking, into an abundant into the abundant life that we have already been given in Jesus. In verse 10, says, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That what God is dedicated to increasing in our lives is us looking more and more like Jesus. That's what he's committed to. That's what we are, the benefit we are reaping and that we are accruing in our lives that we are being enriched in as we give. And looking more and more like Jesus becoming more and more truly human. It's a win for us to be generous. Also, it's a win for God, which I recognize. Sounds kind of tongue-in-cheek, but uh, okay, it's okay. Here's what Paul says in verses 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, so it's not only helping those people in Judea, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The people who get this gift are going to thank God for it. By their approval of this service, by the people who receive the gift, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. And that glorify God, it can sound very kind of churchy. What that means is God is getting credit. Like God is going public. That God's character, his goodness is being declared in the world as people recognize his generosity that Paul is saying through the generosity of the Corinthians, the people who receive that gift are going to thank God for it because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But the goodness that they receive, they'll understand that's a goodness that comes from God. The generosity is a mark of God's character and so way we get to declare him out into our world. And let's level set here and recognize there are plenty of people in the world who are generous who are not Christians. Right? Very generous. Sometimes more generous than Christians. Like this place that we are standing, okay? It was bought by the guy who invented Crocs. What a fun fact. Mr. Bodecker, okay? Mr. Bodecker has a foundation, the Bodecker Foundation. There's a flag up in the courtyard. And his goal when, when I was meeting with the people who run this place talking about us being here, they said, Mr. Bodecker's goal is for his last check to bounce. And they're like, I mean, not really, but you, like, you know what I mean, right? I'm like, okay, I, like I was worried about Mr. Bodecker's financial stability. I'm like, it's okay, I get the metaphor. Right, That he wants to give it all away, of course. Not of course, he wants to give it all away. Yes, that's so good. And, and what happened, he renovated this. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like, do you recognize those windows over there? Um, those go to a hallway, they backlit the windows so they would glow like all the other windows. That's really cool. Oh, wow. Some of you are just noticing that, right? They spent a lot of money redoing this place and making it awesome. And the goal is that this state of the art event venue, that the profit from this venue goes to fund and reduce the rent for the nonprofits who are in the office building in the back. And, guys, a lot of those nonprofits, I, I have no idea, probably not run by Christians. Because there are a lot of people in our world who love being generous who don't love Jesus. Here's what you gotta understand, though, is that the fact that in our kind of, in our world, we believe in this thing called generosity, that we think it's a good thing, that we celebrate it when we see it, guys, it is a mark of the gospel on our culture, even if we've forgotten where that mark came from originally. Because I wanna tell you about the world that Christianity was birthed into, okay, into like the Greco-Roman world of the first century. In that world, compassion was not valued what was valued was strength and dominance over other people, right? Even in like Greek, okay, you guys know I love history, so we're just gonna geek out for a second, okay? Even in like Greek city-states where there was democracy and people got to vote on who their leaders would be, only certain people got to vote because only property-holding men were considered equal. Everyone else was not allowed to have a vote in that. So yeah, there was democracy, but not like we practice. because the way that we think about the world, compassion and generosity and equality of people before God, was not the way that that world operated. There is this Roman emperor in the, in the fourth century. His name was Julian the Apostate, which tells you what Christians thought about him, okay? Not a great moniker. The, the Roman Empire had started to turn toward Christianity. Many of the emperors had been Christians at that point, And Julian came in and said, I hate Christianity. I want to undo Christianity. I want to go back to our better and more glorious pagan past. And what he told the other pagans was, guys, get it together. These Christians are being so generous. All these people are becoming Christians because they're c- caring for sick people and they're taking care of women and orphans and they're building hospitals and maybe not building hospitals, but they're doing the hospital thing, right? So he said to them, you gotta get it together because if we're ever gonna get people back to being pagan, we gotta start being kind. And he started rewriting Roman history and he was like, oh, we gotta go back to how we've always been kind as Romans. But that's not true because they hadn't always been kind or compassionate because they didn't believe in it. But Christianity had so come to shape the world he lived in that even by the fourth century, even 300 years after Jesus had died, people had recognized compassion is a better way to live. So the fact that we look at generosity and we say yes to it, that people who aren't Christians look at it and say yes to it, is a, is a mark of Jesus' impact on our world. Because, guys, if you think about the world from, a, from an evolutionary like biology perspective, which is the way right, that a lot of people look at the world, generosity makes no sense. In a survival of the fittest world, right, generosity doesn't make sense. You shouldn't have compassion on someone, you should kill them and take their resources so that you have a better chance of surviving. Now, biologists have recognized this, okay? And they have kind of different ways of getting around it, kin selection theory, group selection theory. But even other biologists recognize that kind of way of thinking about change uh, in the environment is weak and doesn't really hold up. There's a lot of controversy around it. There's this article in The Atlantic called The Man Who Couldn't Stop Giving. It's all about generosity and the science of generosity. And the author, Sam Keene says this. He says, explaining generosity, or more generally, altruism, is actually a headache for biologists. Charles Darwin considered the trait one of the gravest threats to his theory of natural selection. And then he goes on to talk about some of the ways scientists have wrestled with this, but he says, still, group selection seems nebulous and ill-defined to biologists who take a gene's eye view of evolution, and it's controversial among scientists. The generosity in our world, the way that it's practiced widely and embraced by all of us, it's a mark of, of, God, it's a mark of God's gospel uh, at work in our world even if we don't recognize where it came from. And if you're here and you're, you're kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing, one of the things you've got to wrestle with is how do you explain generosity? When we hear it's better to give than to receive, we're like, oh yeah, of course, you know? Vague truism is what my English teacher would have written on that in 11th grade. Vague truism. It's become such a part of our culture, we don't even notice it. We all say, of course, if you read that in any children's book, you would not think, I wonder what their agenda is talking about is better to give than to receive. You'd be like, no, of course, because we all believe that. But you've got to ask, why do we all believe that? Because it's not a self-evident thing to believe. All the generosity when we see it and value it, it's not only a legacy of Christianity in our world, it's the legacy of God's imprint in our lives and that we have been created in the image of God so that when we see generosity practiced, we are recognizing in each other the image of God, even if it's been buried under so many other things. That every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The God who is generous and makes the rain fall on the just and on the unjust. And, and what is the best gift that God has given us from above? It's His Son. His Son, who He graciously gave in a way that defies all of our human logic, that He would give up His Son to win us. And that that Son would graciously and willingly, generously come. If we flip back to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says it like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Oh, that that is the generosity of our Jesus. That not when we deserved it or because we were entitled to it, but because of his great and generous love for us that he gave himself to come and find us. That's the love of our Jesus. That's the character of our God. You know, that's the eternal character of our God. Our God who has always existed, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who throughout all eternity has been in a self-giving, generous relationship with himself. No other God can be like that. No other God can have generosity at the core of his being because no other God has been able to from all eternity past exist in generosity. But that's who our God is. He is a generous God and so what we get to do as God's people is pour that generosity out into the world in all kinds of ways. And to limit generosity to do I give a certain percentage of my income like on a monthly basis? Like how much of my income have I set up to recurringly come out in an uh, electronic, in an EFT? Right? That makes generosity so small! Now that we get to be so creative in what we give, yes, with our resources, also in the things that we have that we share, like our homes that when you open your home up to other people, people who are similar to you, people who are different than you, that you are being generous with what God has given you. When you have people around your table and you're inviting them into your space but also into your heart, guys, that's a generosity. And there's so many of you who have been so creative with the ways you invite people into your space, not only uh, for dinner but also like, for living. Yeah, that's a testimony to the power of the gospel, to the generosity that marks us as people. So that's what we talk about here with the generosity that opens our hearts to the people who would, who would show people that we don't know and say, yeah, hey, it's good to see you and like to remember their names, right? Like that's generosity. To have a conversation and like actually care about getting to know someone, that's generosity. Inviting them out after this to coffee or to brunch or for a play date. That's an openness of spirit and of heart that's, that's generous. If you were here and you have a family, do you realize that is a mark of God's generosity to you? and that we are called as Christians to share that with other people in our community? That the way that God has set this up is that there are some people who are called to having a family in like a very traditional sense, and some people who are called to singleness and yet are a part of the family. And you blessing people with your family who, who are single is, is a way of you living out this generosity. We're called to it. And if you're here and you're single, I know that sometimes your singleness feels like a curse, but it is not. It is not. What scripture tells us is that it is a gift. And that there are ways that you get to bless other people in this community through that gift that you have been given. And I can tell you, there are people in this room, I can testify, okay, who have given us gifts that they could not give us if they were married. And it is so sweet and we're so thankful for it. that, That we're pouring that generosity out on each other all the time in the way that we do this, in the way that we live our lives and are in relationship with each other. Yes, in this room, but also outside of this room. But there are experiences that God has given you. There is pain that you have walked through that feels so uh, uh, burdensome. And yet for many of you, as you've walked through that pain, you've experienced Jesus showing up for you. And when you hear someone else who has a similar story and you say to them, me too, I know what that's like. Jesus has walked through a very similar place in my own life with me. And when you show them you're not alone by showing up and listening, that's being generous. It's stewarding the experiences that God has given you to love the people around you. We're called to be a people who are generous, who are pouring out the abundance of what God has poured into us. Paul says it like this by their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That that generosity testifies to Jesus being at work in us. For the ministry of this service, this is verse 12, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We're on to our third win now. The generosity is a win for other people not only supplying the needs of the saints, that when you're generous, it meets other people's needs, and that's good for them. That's kind of self-evident, but I just want to pull that out, that that that's true. That's like a part of the logic that's implied here. And it's more than that. the generosity of your contribution for them for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, that what Paul is saying is that in this relationship between the Corinthians and the church in Judea, that as the Corinthians bless the church in Judea, that the church in Judea is going to thank and praise God for the people uh, in Corinth, and that there's going to be this warmth of relationship, this intimacy that develops between people who will probably never see each other, right? Right? That they'll love each other and pray for each other and care for each other across hundreds of miles in this incredibly, to call it a relationship, seems like a stretch, but that will happen because of what has been generated through this give and take through this relationship of generosity. That what generosity generates is this depth of relationship and intimacy in relationship. And that's because the gifts that are given... uh, in the Christian way of thinking about generosity, are gifts between equal partners. Because right? that's what Christianity declares, is that before God, uh, we are all equal in the sense that we have all been created in God's image. And so when I give to you, that doesn't lower you down. It doesn't make me above you but that we're all on an equal playing field and that if what I bring to the table is my abundance and what you bring to the table is your need, this is what, this is, both of those things are a gift. When you bring your need to this community, it's a gift to us. It blesses the people in this room when they have an opportunity to give out of what, has God, what God has given them to you. They need it. They have been enriched in every way to be generous in every way, but if there's no one for them to be generous to, how are they going to pour it out? Because let's be real, we all want to be the people who get to be generous, but who wants to be the person who is the person in need? And I can't tell you how many times people apologize to me for being in need. I know, we showed up at church and we came with all this need. Yes, exactly. So often that's what drives us here in the first place, isn't it? That's, that's one of the things that we are equal in is our great and desperate need for God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So come on, bring your need. Another way to say it, it's not just that your need is welcome here, that it blesses us, it's that for you to withhold your need from this community is to withhold from us the opportunity of doing what God has called us to do. That when you keep your need to yourself, you rob God of an opportunity to get glory from the relationship he wants to create from him meeting his need through someone else in this community. So bring it on. Because we all have it. Whether that need is financial or emotional or relational, well, I don't know what part of your life may feel like it's falling apart, right? We, we all have need. And we may disguise it in all kinds of ways. This may be the place that we try to make it seem like no one else can see our need. We dress up, put our face on, right? Show up at church and like, this is the place I just want everyone to know. Don't worry, I've got it together. Sometimes we talk about our problems, like, I'm, you know, I'm a good Christian. Of course I have problems. And we talk about them in a way that convinces us and convinces other people we don't actually need anybody's help in dealing with them. Yeah, like, yeah, I need God, but I don't really need you, right? Like, don't get worried about me for crying out loud. Guys, come on. The need that we experience is desperate. So bring it. And would you let God show up for you and through other people in this room as he meets that need? And let's just acknowledge, guys, we're not all gonna do it perfectly. Well, none of us are gonna do it perfectly. We're, it's gonna get wonky sometimes as we, as we like do that dance of being generous and, and asking for help. That's okay. That's a part of it. Because asking for forgiveness and being given forgiveness is a part of this dance also. It's one of the ways that we get to be generous to each other as a community. Okay, last thing. Back in December, we talked about, like, our financial need as a church, that to meet our budget, uh, like, what we kind of, like, want to give for the year, it takes about, well, now I'm getting all the numbers messed up in my head. Okay, give me a second. That if we give, on average, about $30,000 a month in monthly giving, that there's a $170,000 gap between our monthly giving and where we want to be at the end of the year so we just, we told you about that and invited you into it. Okay. Between then and now, y'all have given $135,000 more than we typically have in our, like, weekly, monthly giving. (laughs) Yeah, come on, right? That is very exciting. And, like, I I share that to say, thank you. I am thanking God for y'all's generosity. Thank you. Uh, And I want you to be able to celebrate that with us. Thank you that we would say to God, thank you for, as a community, meeting our need through people in this room. And we look forward to seeing how God meets the rest of it. Of course. And that's why when we have been doing these giving announcements kind of more consistently, we're talking about how giving uh, is an act of discipleship. And I hope you've heard that through this sermon series, that God cares about you and because he cares about you, he cares about your money and so as we talk about this, it's a way of inviting you into growing into the person God has created you to be. Whether you give here or in all the places you give because he's got so many places uh, for you to be generous, that you have been enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your generosity toward us through Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are a generous God. Uh, And Lord, that we get to be recipients of that generosity, generosity, participants in that generosity is such a blessing in our lives, God. Uh, Would you, even as we worship this morning, would you tune our hearts into the abundance that we have uh, through you? Would you fill us up with that, make us aware of that even this morning? Amen.